0: Before we open our Bibles and read from scripture, I'd like to kind of introduce the theme that we're looking at this morning. So, in the back of the gray hymnal, if you'd like to follow along, you're welcome to. It's page 943. We'll be looking at the perseverance of the saints. First of all, I'd like to read article three which kind of introduces us to the concept. God's preservation of the converted. Because of these remnants of sin dwelling in them, and also because of the temptations of the world and Satan, those who have been converted could not remain standing in this grace if left to their own resources. But God is faithful, mercifully strengthening them in the grace once conferred on them and powerfully preserving them in it to the end. Then turn over the page, number 944. On the bottom right hand, you'll see Article 12 this takes it to the next level the implications of this it says this assurance as an incentive to godliness this assurance of perseverance however so far from making true believers proud and carnally self-assured is rather the true root of humility of childlike respect of genuine godliness of endurance in every conflict of fervent prayers of steadfastness in cross-bearing and in confessing the truth and of well-founded joy in god reflecting on this benefit provides an incentive to a serious and continual practice of thanksgiving and good works, as is evident from the testimonies of scripture and the examples of the saints. That introduces our theme, and now I invite you to open your Bibles to 1 John, chapter two. And the section that we'll be looking at carries over into chapter 3 through verse 3. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know we are god's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared but we know that when he appears we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure this is the word of the lord thanks be to god this morning we come to the end of our series of five messages we looked at the word tulip and each letter represented one total depravity unconditional election Limited atonement, irresistible grace, and then now today, perseverance of the saints. As we look at that last one, some people would prefer the word preservation instead of perseverance. Either one would work. But as we look at this, it will become obvious that this biblical teaching provides comfort and peace to the believer. In our series focused on TULIP, Pastor Dave and I have frequently said that the primary difference between the Arminians and the Calvinists is that the Arminians emphasize the importance of the individual in earning his or her salvation, while the Calvinists attributed every step along the path of salvation to God alone, by God's grace and for God's glory. So the difference between those two beliefs are literally the difference between a life focused on the self and selfishness and a life that is firmly rooted in Jesus Christ. Literally, the difference shows our reason for living. A person who focuses on human effort will inevitably believe that death is life's final enemy. That life is measured by a person's ongoing effort and desire to be saved. And this, obviously, is never fully achieved. One cannot be certain of his or her salvation until that actual moment when he or she is standing before the judgment seat of God. But a person who focuses on God's grace and contends that every part of redemption hinges upon God's unchangeable will has a sense of permanence and security even in the midst of a chaotic world. This comfort comes from the conviction that a believer will never be separated from the love of God. And there's no greater cause for gratitude and thankfulness in the heart of a believer than the electing power of God, who is alone able to declare us righteous through the atonement of Jesus Christ. Paul writes in Romans eight, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor anything present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of god that is in christ jesus our lord so in the midst of our world which changes which is unpredictable which is often frustrating to us christians have a sense of permanence. It's because our identity and our purpose are not found in trying to earn salvation, but rather our security is knowing that God has called and predestined believers unto eternal life. And God never makes mistakes God never would write your name in the book of life and then later say, oh, now i got to blot it out because that person didn't do what he or she was supposed to do. When God calls and predestines people, he's very specific, and he sends Jesus Christ to die on the cross for their sins. And he writes their name in the book of life Through the blood of the Lamb, the precious blood of the Lamb is permanent. Therefore, when we have assurance of our faith in Jesus Christ, life is not just declining day by day as we get older. Rather, life is something that advances and continues to grow, especially as we anticipate being face-to-face with our Lord and Savior in heaven. Each day takes on new significance when we have that perspective and seek to glorify God. Now, as we look at this concept of the perseverance of the saints, we see that by the grace of God and in accordance with his eternal purpose, a believer receives complete salvation that is secured by the finished work of Jesus Christ. Now, many do not believe that this doctrine of sovereign election and assurance of faith, they don't believe because it assaults their human pride. They want to emphasize human ability, self-confidence, and yet the interesting thing is they will never be able to feel as if they're secure. They cannot be comfortable. The Arminian view compares salvation like an inheritance, which is just offered to all people. And some decide to squander away that inheritance. Some through their responsibility and their hard work, have earned their salvation. That's what the Arminians would say. And then, of course, by free will, and the belief that somehow individuals are able to fall away from God's grace, the Arminian could never be certain whether he or she had eternal life. In fact, one may have gained salvation one day But that doesn't mean that that person will fall away the next day. In his book entitled, Calvinism in History, the author, McFetridge, describes that unsettling trauma of trying to be assured of your salvation based on your personal works. He says to feel that I were crossing the troubled and dangerous sea of life dependent for my final security upon the acting of my own treacherous nature is enough to fill me with a perpetual alarm. If it is possible I want to know that the vessel to which I commit my life is seaworthy and that having once embarked that I shall arrive safely. At my destination. So as reformed believers, we know that God is the only one who is able, who has the power to transform the hearts and the lives of his people. In Ezekiel 11, it says that God promised his people to take away their heart of stone and to give them a heart of of flesh so that they would once again obey him. So God works through his Holy Spirit in the hearts of people. If we were to base the security of our eternal salvation on human efforts upon ourselves as weak and corrupt, rather than upon God's sovereignty and his sovereign plan, we would find ourselves in that constant state of uncertainty and fear. Now, according to the passage that we looked at in 1 John, the child of God, in agreement with God's eternal purpose, is able to gain that assurance of salvation, not based on his or her own work or effort, but based on the certainty of Christ's work of redemption. Now, there's a couple of important reminders. First, it's essential to realize our security as believers is anchored in Jesus Christ, who is our faithful Savior. John believes that the assurance of our salvation is deeply anchored in Christ's atoning work. In chapter 2, verse 28, he says, And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. John's admonition is to remain in him. The Greek word meno, to remain or to abide, is used to characterize God as enduring and eternal. And so here John is using it to instruct believers to remain strong in their faith in Jesus Christ. This idea of remaining or abiding in Christ is truly a matter of deep belief and behavior. When all of our daily thoughts and words and activities are aimed at reflecting Jesus Christ, we have a solid foundation. John wants to motivate his readers to keep strong in their faith and reminds them of the future appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ in his second return. So this anticipation of Jesus Christ returning, appearing in glory, forms the climax of the believer's relationship with him, even in the present as we serve him. So our sense of peace, our sense of security, is based in the triumphant resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yes, at times, we have our insecurities. Sometimes we're led down that pathway of doubt, fear, maybe even self-pity. But Jesus Christ brings eternal blessings to those who are God's children. And it's through his grace. Later, John, at the end of chapter 5, toward the end of this letter, says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. You can count on it. Believers need to be regularly reminded of of that security and the comfort that we have in being anchored to Christ. Another important reminder is that this security that we have, this confidence, does not mean our struggle with sin is over. We look at what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 7. Within me, It reminds us of King David, a great leader of God's people, who also stumbled into sin, into covetousness, into adultery, which then led to murder. He could not hide from God. Now, I'm convinced that this struggle against sin becomes more and more intense the stronger that a believer is. The more confident that a person is in their hope for eternal life, the more unrelenting will be that battle. You see, when your mind is unclear, unsettled, Satan has no fear of you speaking the truth with clarity and with conviction. But when God's Spirit comes upon you, that's when Satan is threatened. Perseverance of the saints means that once you're part of God's eternal kingdom, you will remain a part of that kingdom. And Satan knows that. So he works hard. We see at the end of our passage that John contends that our security in Christ, then the implications are that it produces fruits of righteousness. In chapter 3, verse 3, at the very end, he says, everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. So the hope, which John describes, is not a hope in the sense of a desire or a wish that something might be happen, but a patient assurance and conviction that God will always keep his promises. And everyone who possesses this confidence in Jesus Christ must be purified, says John. It's a natural result. If Christ is pure, that should be our desire. One author says, the believer lives in the hope of more and more becoming conformed to Jesus Christ. The more he contemplates this truth, the more he seeks to be purified of sin. He desires to be cleansed from the sin that contaminates body and soul, constantly striving for holiness in reverence to God. The proof of a confident faith in Jesus Christ is not merely having a strong orthodoxy or belief but it's taking that belief and putting it into practice, which is orthopraxy. When you profess Jesus Christ as your Lord, you're committing yourself to following after him and in his footsteps. There's some implications. First, we need to understand what purity means. To be pure means to be free from that which pollutes. In the Old Testament, they had the law that if anyone became unholy or unclean, they had to remain outside of the camp, sometimes for up to seven days. It was to make sure that everyone maintained a level of holiness. Purity means keeping away from that which is unclean and unholy. And God wants us to have a clean heart. C.S. Lewis observes, The instrument through which you see God is your whole self. And if a man's self is not kept pure and bright, his glimpse of God will therefore be blurred, like the moon seen through a dirty telescope. Second, we must maintain a sensitive conscience. Our conscience is what God has created us with to keep us pure. And we should not allow it to become hardened. One author talks about the conscience is like this three-cornered object within the inside of a person. And whenever I'm doing what I should be, it's, it just sits by itself and settles there. But when I'm bad, it begins to kind of churn and turn around, and those corners hurt. But, he says, if you continue to keep doing what is wrong, the corners begin to wear off, and more and more it stops hurting. Third, We need to remember God is always present in our lives. In Psalm 139, we're told there's nowhere that we can hide from the presence of God. No matter how far we go, no matter where we flee, God is near. For many, that's a sobering thought, but it's also a source of comfort. When we face despair and difficulty, it's comforting to know that God is near, and we can't run away from him. Fourth, we must listen to wise rebuke. Sometimes we don't listen, and we don't learn what our weaknesses are, or how we can grow. When we're accountable to one another, and when we're willing to confront when necessary, it builds up. The body of Christ. Fifth, we need to practice self examination. We need to always open up our lives to the truth of God's Word through regular self examination, to grow in our faith and our understanding. As Christians, we have a wonderful certainty of salvation that's rooted in Jesus Christ. And that separates one who does not believe in Christ from one who truly believes in Christ. It's a heart and soul difference. Because religious activity does not give us assurance. The title of being a Christian does not give us assurance and certainty in our salvation. It's God's grace through Jesus Christ. And we see it in words, in actions, and in convictions. So we've come around full circle to the end of our series. So I'd like to put up that acrostic again of TULIP. Summarizing the, the five points of Calvinism. Total depravity is the belief that human beings are stained by sin in every aspect of their being, in their hearts, emotions, will, mind, and body. Therefore, people cannot choose God, nor can they save themselves. God is the one who initiates. God is the one who intervenes. You unconditional election god in his own good will and purpose chooses who will be saved in fact way back in eternity past god selected those who would be saved and god does this out of his kindness and out of his good sovereign will not based on personal merit l limited atonement jesus christ died for the sins of those who are called and chosen by God the Father. Christ's death and resurrection, in other words, is very specific. It's not just this general invitation for people to, now you can come and you can save yourself. Jesus is just opening it up. That's not what it is. I, irresistible grace, It's the teaching that God brings those elect to salvation through this internal calling. And it's an internal calling that we can't resist. Through God's grace, it's the Holy Spirit who works in our hearts and lives and transforms us. And then finally, perseverance of the saints. God's chosen people, those whom he has called and elected, cannot lose their salvation. It's not here one day, gone the next. It's not writing your name in the book of life and then deciding to blot it out or erase it. It is God, our triune God, who is at work. And that's what makes it secure eternally one writer says the tulip acronym arranges the five points of calvinism logically and also progressively each point is contingent on the others if humans are totally depraved then truly they are unable to make a response to god at least that initial response God must then call people to salvation, and he does so through unconditional election. Then God must also provide a specific way of salvation through the atoning work of Jesus Christ, through his blood. He goes on to make salvation secure by the irresistible and effective calling internally of the Holy Spirit in that person's life. And then finally, he keeps that person saved, eternally secure, so that indeed he or she will inherit the eternal life that he has promised. Reformed theology is not only biblical. It's also also completely centered on God's grace, and pointing to god's glory and that is exactly what you and i are created to do to point to the glory of god not ourselves let's join together in prayer our father in heaven we give you praise and thanks for the confidence that we have, a confidence that is rooted in your promises, in your word, that you who calls, who chooses, who elects, are not going to go back on your promise. You will not change your mind. You will not judge us based on our effort because we are weak in our humanity We will always disobey. So we need your intervention. Salvation is precious through the blood of our Lord and Savior. And Lord, as we reflect on that, may we never doubt that those whom you have called to be the body of Christ to be your children will truly inherit eternal life. And may that give to us a wonderful sense of purpose and stability. In Jesus' name, amen.